All right, all right, all right. I'm excited. I am excited about tonight. How many of you have had a great day today? Just great day. How many of you have not have had the opposite of a great day today? I feel you. I feel you. But you know what's so great is even on days where, where it feels like it's the opposite of a great day, our God's bigger, isn't he? You know, he really is. No matter what we're facing, our God is bigger. And so tonight, this is what we're going to do. Um, we've been talking about epic falls, and we've been talking about how people fail, and we've been talking about how people in the Bible fell, and you know, all of these different things. But tonight, I want to talk a little bit about a different kind of epic fall. You know, when I was um, a little girl uh, growing up in, in, in the true Pentecostalness um, that was the most awesome thing in the world, um, we would talk a lot about God falling on people, you know, how God would fall on people. And we don't really use that language as much because language evolves, right? So it's not that you lose the concept. It's just that the way that we say it might change a little bit. But I've always loved that imagery of what happens when God falls? What happens in a room when God falls? What happens to a person when God falls on them? When his spirit, what we're saying there is when his spirit touches someone in a special way, right? I mean, that's really what that means, when his spirit touches somebody in a special way. And so I was kind of thinking about that, about, you know, that language. And, and then I, I started thinking about the chapter that is one of my most favorite chapters in the Bible. And it's um, the book of John, chapter one. The book of John, chapter one. Now, if any of you have ever had this experience, usually we tell new believers to read the book of John, right? So when you first come to know Jesus, usually we say, okay, you're, you know, you've decided to follow Jesus. That's great. You've heard the message. You've heard the good news. You've accepted Christ. Now I want you to go and read the book of John. And I remember one day actually reading the book of John when I was very small, and I was like, why do they have them reading this book? Because it starts off like super mystic, right? I mean, all the other books are like so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, Jesus, little baby, Mary, you know, goes through the kind of story in a sequential order. But John doesn't start that way. In fact, John is the mirror image of Genesis. And if you want to talk about a book that's a little difficult to understand, it's Genesis, right? And so, but I understand as I got older why we have people start there. It's because the first chapter of John is basically all of Christianity just shoved together. It's the whole thing. It's from beginning to end. It's not just the story of Jesus. It's the story of us too. It's the story of what happens when God falls. It's the story of what happens when God chooses to come from heaven into earth. So that's what I want to do tonight. I just want to walk through the book of John and point out a few things and talk about this with you because I think it's a beautiful picture of what happens in our lives and what happens on the earth, what happens in history and what happens in communities when God falls. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our hearts to hear everything that you have for us. God, I thank you that you always speak so much more than just what comes out of my mouth, that you speak through your spirit to the individual hearts of the people in the room. And that's what I pray. I pray that you would bring healing to hurt 
hearts. I pray that you would bring peace to offense. God, I pray that you would bring love and joy and all of the things that you bring with you into this moment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Let's start in verse one. And this is in the New Living Translation. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. Okay, can we just go ahead and say that people like me who love Star Trek love this verse? It's like time paradox, just magic. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's okay. We'll get to the real stuff. But for my sci-fi nerds, can we get an amen on this verse? Because it says, in the beginning, the word already existed. What? In the beginning, the word already existed. We have to sometimes remember that God is not limited by time. Sometimes we feel like God is not on time in our situation, but we have to understand he is not limited by our definition of time. He stands outside of time. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word, Jesus You know, the Bible talks about how God spoke creation into existence. And then John tells us that God created everything through him, talking about Jesus, talking about the word, and nothing was created except through him. So this is what we can understand, is that when God comes to earth, when God inherits something or creates something that is without form that's without anything that's without light the very first thing he does is he creates life he creates life and that's why Christianity isn't about making bad people good that's what behavior modifications about that's what other systems of behavior are about other religions are about taking people who are bad and making them more acceptable in society making them better humans No, that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about God falling, the spirit of God falling and something that was dead, something that was not in existence coming to life. And don't we know, those of us who have accepted Jesus, don't we know that there is a difference between just becoming a better person and becoming a Jesus creation? When we accept Jesus, suddenly something comes alive inside of us that wasn't there before. And we know that if God has created something new in us, that it was created through Jesus. See, life is what gives us the ability to move, to breathe, to exist. No wonder the Bible says that in him we have our being because you have to be alive in order to do all of those things. And life is required before you can move forward. That's why people who just try to apply the teachings of Christ without the lordship of Christ are not going to have the proper result. One of my favorite historical uh, characters, or um, I guess he's not a character, historical personas, people, whatever, um, is Benjamin Franklin. I absolutely love him. If you haven't read the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin, you should. It's a fantastic book. But Benjamin Franklin was determined to perfect himself. 
That was his, his goal. He wanted to perfect himself. And so he created this list of virtues and he put them in the order in which he felt like it, they would have to be perfected. And so he said, well, this will be a simple enterprise. I will just simply start with one. And once I have perfected it, I will move to the second one and the third one. And by the time I finish my list of virtues, I will be basically a perfect human as far as character goes. And you can imagine what happened. He started on one and he felt like he was doing very well. And so he went to the next one and, and suddenly he found that, that the first one was kind of dropping off. He found that he couldn't concentrate on more than three or four at a time and the others would just kind of fall through the cracks. Because we can't perfect ourselves. We can't become as good as we need to be in order for God to accept us. We can't do it on our own. We have to have Jesus come along and make us alive. We can't just take his teachings and then just say, okay, well, you know, I, I don't have to worry about all of that Savior stuff. I don't have to worry about all of that resurrection stuff. I don't have to worry about all that theology. I'm just going to accept Jesus as a good teacher, and I'm just going to do his list of, of things. It doesn't work that way. Jesus has to be Lord first, because until we are alive in him, we are still dead in our sin. Go to the next verse. The word, talking about Jesus, gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. His life brought light to everyone. When God falls on the earth, he brings light. That's one of the things I love. You know, the, the Bible in Genesis talks about how in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. First he brought everything into existence and then he said, let there be light. And that's what he does in our life too. He makes us a new creature and then he supplies us with light. He supplies us with the light of his word. He supplies us with the light of perspective. He supplies us with a new light, a light to be able to see things differently than we've ever seen them before. He gives us clarity of mind, clarity of intention, clarity of situation. And the next verse says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. You know, we, we do have a battle here on earth. There's no doubt. The Bible says that we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We do not believe that we are fighting other humans. We believe that we are fighting principalities and powers. But I want to remind you that these are vanquished principalities and powers. That Jesus Christ won the victory at Calvary over the people we are fighting. We are fighting a battle where we have already won. And so when we look at this and we see that, that light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it, we have to remember that we're not fighting a battle trying to figure out if the light's gonna survive. No, the darkness cannot extinguish the light, period. The darkness cannot extinguish the light. In your own life, the light that Christ has given you, as long as you allow it to live in your life, as long as you are willing to feed that light, as long as you are willing to coexist with Jesus, the darkness around you cannot extinguish it. 
You know, it's, it's funny. I've had people say, well, I'm very concerned about this person going into the secular environment. Secular environments or environments that were dark have never threatened my faith. Religious environments have. And the reason is, is because in the darkness, I can tell how bright my light is shining. But when I'm surrounded by other people who are just focusing on themselves, sometimes I can get confused about my light. Just a little confused. So what we need to understand is that we're not fighting to make sure that the darkness recognizes the light. The light does not need the darkness to co-sign its existence. The light is going to exist regardless. God sent a man, going to verse six. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, this is what we know is that when God, from the time God created the earth, God always, in every situation, uses a man. Now, I'm I'm not talking about the gender, I'm talking about the race, okay? So, God uses a man. It is God's way to use mankind in every situation. And sometimes we can pray and ask God to change a situation when God wants to change us enough to send us into the situation. So we always have to be open to that and say, God, I pray that you'll intervene in this situation, understanding that we might be the intervention that's called for. He always sends a man as his mouthpiece. And we're called to be witnesses. But called to be witnesses of what? And I love this. Called to be witnesses of the light. Just like we talked about on Sunday that we're all called to be witnesses. We're all called to be living examples that God exists. But it's important that we understand that we are not the light. John wasn't the light. He wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about the light. And we've all been given light in our lives. When we accepted Jesus, there was a light, there was a Holy Spirit that was put on the inside of us that can shine into the world. One of the best examples I ever, I ever heard about this um, was given by, by a preacher at a conference I went to, and, and she had a flashlight. And she said, you know, we're all given a light, and, and sometimes we can start to think that our light is for shining in the faces of other people. That we just shine it in their eyes and go, oh, can't you see this? Don't you notice like where you're going wrong? And we can misuse our light and give people the wrong impression of the light because we just get in their face and we get in their business and we're like, hey, you know, why are you doing it this way? I can't believe da, 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 da. And then she said, but then there's another misuse of light and it's when we shine it on ourselves. We use it as a spotlight and we walk around going, look at me, I am shining with the light. I'm, look at this light. Can you just notice who I am? I mean, really, I'm one of those light witnesses. You know, the really cool people who witness in the light, you know. And we start getting obsessed with our own selves and our own lives. Hey, we've all been there. Come on. We've all been the people who shone the light in somebody's eyes, maybe a little brightly because we were irritated. Nobody's done that? I have. There's no doubt. You know, you're, you're irritated at them and you're like, Aha, an opening. 
<laughs> and it wasn't the Holy Spirit, it was just your own bad attitude that wanted to talk to them about their issue. <laughs> or maybe you've been at the place where you were so self-absorbed with your own thing that you found yourself wasting God's life, just using it as a spotlight for yourself. But that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be reflectors of the light, right? We're supposed to be like mirrors that magnify the light, that just make it bigger. I love my Christmas tree. I got a new Christmas tree um, this year. I'm so excited. Like, I can't even tell you. The last Christmas tree I got was like at a garage sale for like five bucks. And it was really short and it never ever looked good. And so we had to have big bows that would like stick in the holes and stuff. So I got a new Christmas this year, tree this year, and it's gorgeous. And it was so cute. And there's Christmas tree sales going on right now, if you need to know about that. Anyway, got a great Christmas tree. But you know the thing I love about Christmas trees is when you hang a glass ornament on a Christmas tree, how that really pretty, shiny glass ornament just reflects the light. That's who I want to be. I, I want to be like that glass that when light even gets near me, when I have that, that it just reflects softly into the world. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. Verse 10, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his people and even they rejected him. This is what I know. If God came and was rejected, we'll be rejected too. You know, expectations are really key to your happiness. Somebody was talking to me about their transition in life today. And they said, would you have any words of wisdom? And I said, well, expect to be miserable. And every day that you're not, be excited about it. And they just looked at me like, that is not faith-filled. I feel like it is. Because... <laughs> Because the thing is, is if I set my, I'm not talking about your hopes, I'm not talking about, but if I go ahead and say, you know what, life's tough, and I'm going to go ahead and expect that it's going to be tough, but every day that it's not super tough, I'm not going to just be like, oh, well, that's what I expected. I'm going to be overjoyed. I'm going to be ecstatic. I'm going to be like, are you kidding me? I didn't just make payroll. I had 10 bucks left. Hallelujah. Why not? Why not create a win for yourself, right? But the truth is, is that if we go around and our expectation is that we're not gonna have any issues and then we run into rejection, we may be devastated. But if we understand Jesus was rejected, so we might be, but it doesn't reflect on us. It reflects on him and that's okay. Because we are, our acceptance is in him. We're not gonna allow that rejection to touch our identity or touch our heart. We're not gonna allow that trouble to knock us off mission or push us away. We're not gonna allow that difficulty or that emotion to push us into, no. We're gonna understand that God is bigger than anything we could face. So even though I'm expecting the storm, I know the storm might come, I also know that I have peace in the middle of the storm. So we know that Jesus was rejected and will be rejected too. But this is the thing. We can't get offended when people reject God. Have you ever noticed that you can kind of get offended when people reject what you believe? Anybody ever do that? And then you start cutting them out of your life. It's like, oh my gosh, can you believe they don't agree with me on that? Yeah, no joke. They, they, they don't believe like you. They aren't, you're, they aren't a Christian. You can't get offended with people who have different beliefs than you for not having the same belief you have, right? 
Instead, we have to understand that if people rejected Jesus when he was in the flesh on the earth, they're probably going to continue to reject him now when they can't see him, touch him, or feel him. But that's, that's not our job. Our job is not to make everybody accept Jesus. Our job is just to be a witness of the light. We aren't decision makers. We're just light witnesses. Let's go to verse 12. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Wow, I love that. And you know, when God falls on a community, what you start to see is a lot of babies. You really do. Now, we've had a lot of babies just just naturally this year. I mean, I'm telling you, we have like 40 babies. Like some of you ladies, if y'all don't start volunteering in Baby Village, we're just going to draft you in the foyer. So you just got to know. Like I'm telling you, I'm going, okay, I know all these mamas haven't dropped their babies off yet because Baby Village hasn't called and said time out, you know. But we've, I mean, we've got 40 babies that have been born this year. 40 babies. And those are the ones I know of that I can put in. 40 babies. But how many babies, spiritual babies, have we had born in the house? A lot. We've had a lot. We've had a lot. And that's such a precious and amazing thing. You know, I was hearing somebody, and they were talking about adoption and how it's such a beautiful and a loving option. And adoption was God's option for us. Adoption was God's option for us. Because And I want to say this really sensitively. But there was every reason for God to give up on humanity. There was every reason for him to abort the entire scenario. But he didn't. He chose adoption. He chose to adopt us. He chose instead to send his son to die so that we could be adopted. And that's why adoption is so precious to God's heart. That's why we talk about our family of choice, right? We have a family of origin. We love our family of origin, but we also have a family of choice. And there are many people in this room who have seen those who are alone and have decided to adopt them into their family. They've seen a need and they've decided to adopt them and bring them into their, and you know what? We're going to see that more and more because when you have a first generation Christian, they need to be adopted because they don't have the legacy and they don't have the parents and the grandparents who can feed all of that into them. And so we have to have our eyes open to understand that if it was God's plan to adopt us and we're supposed to be like God, that we should be looking for an opportunity to adopt others and to bring them into our own families. I love this. It says we are given the right when we believe and accept God. Isn't that beautiful? When we believe and accept God, we can sometimes make it so complicated, can't we? And yet the Bible just says believe and accept God. And and isn't it kind of a progressive thing? Have you noticed that? Like you'll start with, okay, God, I believe and I accept you. But then you'll, you'll start walking with Jesus and you'll start reading your Bible and you'll start getting around other people and maybe somebody pulls you along the journey with them and you're walking with them and then all of a sudden you go, oh, God, I believe 
and accept you. And it feels like it's, you know, that you had never done anything before. And then you go to the next, that's how it's been for my life. It's so funny. I got saved when I was three years old. But I can tell you all of these other moments that felt like new salvations. Because it was a progressive ability to be able to believe more, accept more. But don't get discouraged because you can't believe at the level of somebody who's been walking with Jesus for a really long time. Just start where we are. Because we become God's children the second that we believe and accept. Even if we don't totally know what that means. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 14. So the word became human and made his home among us. This was really the first time that this hit me. You know, God accepted us into his family and he gave us a heavenly home. The Bible says that he prepared a place for us, right? So God accepted us into his family, but he even did more than that. He came and made a home with us too. So it's not just that God accepts us into his family, but he comes and he makes a home with us too, exactly where we are. He doesn't just stand off and go, okay, we'll try and get here. Instead, he makes a home with us and walks with us every step of the way. His Holy Spirit made a home with us, within us. That's what we know in Acts chapter two, that the Holy Spirit literally dwells in every single believer. He's made a home within us. The next verse says, he was full, talking about Jesus, he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Wow, he was full of unfailing love. Not just full of love, but full of unfailing love. Now, I love my husband and I love my kids, but my love fails me sometimes, especially when I'm hungry or tired, really, if I'm both. Anybody like that? Yeah, it just kind of does to a certain extent. Carolina, I do see you. I'm so glad that you're in service. You don't have to wave at me anymore, but thank you. I appreciate it. You look so sweet. But sometimes my love fails me. God's love never fails. I mean, say, Destiny, that's elementary, but don't we sometimes feel that his love fails? Don't we sometimes mess up and then we wanna run away from him instead of running to him, understanding that his love will cover all of our sins, that his love will bring us back together. His love can restore. That's what he was full of. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Even when we are unfaithful, God is faithful. Whenever I became a parent, my mom told me, she said, um, what you have to understand, Destiny, is you're gonna mess up. You're gonna mess up really bad, but God will always fill in the gaps. So you have to trust him way more than you ever trust yourself. You have to trust that he loves your kids more than you, but we also have to trust that God will fill in the gaps for us too, right? That even when we're not faithful enough, we can go, well, I just wasn't faithful enough. Well, I just didn't do all of the things I was supposed to do. Well, I just did it. Well, I just, well, I just, okay, I agree. We need to get better. 
Let's cowboy up and do that. But at the bottom line is, is that Jesus Christ can fill in the gaps even when we are not faithful. You look at the men in the Bible. They were not perfect all the time, but God filled in the gaps for them too. Why would he he do that for us? And he will. We see his glory. It's glorious that there is a love that doesn't fail. And and we see this beautiful progression in creation. God created everything. So he he created life. Then he added light. And then he added this love. And we were his love. Men and women. He created humanity so that he would have something to love and be in relationship with and put in dominion over the world. And that was the order of creation. And we see the same thing in this chapter. That first there was life that was created through Christ's death, that Jesus died so that we could have life. But then he gave us light too, and that light allows us to see his path. And he gave us himself, and he was full of love. So God makes us a new creature. He shows us truth in his life, light, and then he loves us. Let's look at verse 15. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I, for he existed before me. You know, sometimes it takes shouting to the crowds. And I think we do that just with our lives. But I find that Jesus tends to whisper to individuals. He tends to have these beautiful, calm, lovely lovely conversations with individuals. And I think in in our culture, sometimes we can have the tendency to be quiet around crowds, but then yell at individuals. And that's not what we're called to do. We're called to be living examples, to to live as, as a witness and have our lives be so different that people from afar can notice a difference, right? Oh, that person has so much, don't, don't try to get that guy to cheat on his taxes. He's not going to do it. Don't try to get her to say something awful about the teacher. She's not going to do it. Don't try, well, that's a testimony. That's a shout into the darkness that says there's a way that's different. There's a love that's bigger. There's a faithfulness that's more amazing. But then when we come face to face to be able to whisper and to be able to say, hey, you know what? I understand. I've been there too. I've found without a doubt that people are much more ministered to by the times that I've messed up than the times that I've succeeded. (laughs) They understand a lot more when I say, yeah. I had somebody who actually was talking to me about parenting, and and she was really upset. She just really felt like um, she was failing as a parent. And I said, well, join the club. Like most mothers of small children feel like they're doing an absolutely terrible job at least once a week or once every two weeks. It's just the way that it is. It's the season. It's the way, I mean, you just do. And you feel bad, and then you get up, and you do it again. And, you, and then you feel better, and, and you don't really know what the difference is. It's, maybe it's sleep. Maybe it's the child ate the right thing. I don't know. But you just keep going, right? And she just kind of looked at me. She was like, you feel like that too? I was like, yes, I feel like that too. We're all in the same boat. And when we confess our faults one to another, it doesn't just heal us, it heals the other person too. Because we all have faults. Um, Clarissa and I were talking about this. She was saying that she was encountering some women that were having just these major, major struggles. And, and I said, 
she said, well, why aren't they speaking up sooner? And I said, because they're trying to jump to the end of the scripture. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. And sometimes we can jump to the end and just go, well, I'm healed, I'm done. No, there's a process that God's put into place where we get honest with ourselves, we get honest with someone else, and then God heals us, and yes, we do move on. Do we stay in the pity party? Do we stay feeling like a terrible mom? Do we stay in that moment? Do we stay in the mistake? Do we stay in the failure? No, but we don't just go from there without ever speaking. We turn to somebody who's on the journey with us and say, hey, I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time. I need to talk about this just for a second. And you know, more often than not, they look in our eyes and say, you know what, I've been there. God was faithful to me too, and he'll be faithful to you. We don't shout about ourselves. It says that he testified about Jesus. We shout about Jesus. And then we remind ourselves that he existed before us, that he existed before us. See, he's not bound by the conversations of today. He's not bound by the politics of today. He's not bound by the issues that just are facing us today. Jesus existed so much farther beyond before John the Baptist, but it was much farther before and beyond us too. And we have to remember that. Sometimes just getting a historical perspective will give you the perspective you need in your life to just move on and be okay. I mean, look, if Jesus could, could make a way in the Middle Ages, he can make a way in Bossier City in 2016. If Jesus could make a way during World War II for people who were trapped behind enemy lines, if he could touch people's lives in the middle of, of, of jungles where there was no technology or, or interaction with God, if Jesus can do what he has done in the past, then he can take care of us today. We have to understand that we are shouting about him. He is bigger than our problems in part because he is earlier than our problems. Because he spoke life and victory over you before you were even a thought in somebody's mind. You know, I, I, I have been out on a couple boats and the difference between a seasoned sailor and a novice is what? Experience, right? It's just experience. And sometimes I think that we forget that the Bible tells us that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance creates character and then character gives us hope. And we want once again to skip to the end of the scripture. And we're like, I just want all the hope. Well, Suffering, which we all have suffering in our lives, suffering creates perseverance. Why? Because we find out that you can get offended in church and get over it. If you never stick around in a church long enough to get really offended, nice and offended, totally offended, and then get over it, you're not gonna have the perseverance that you need to be able to be a leader and you're gonna offend people, you need to be able to look at the people you offend and go, I know you're offended because I've been offended and I got over it and you can too. So suffering creates perseverance which creates character. 
Now, have you ever described a piece of furniture as having character or a building as having character? What does that mean? It means it's old. It means it's been through stuff. It means it has some scars on it. It means somebody's rubbed the wrong kind of paint or wrong kind of oil or the wrong kind of something on it. I mean, nobody ever pulls up a brand new Lexus and says, man, that thing has character. There's not a chance. We say that about things that have been through some issues, but still, they're more valuable because of what they've been through. Suffering creates perseverance. Perseverance gives us that character. And then that character gives us hope. Hope of what? Hope is just the knowledge that whatever you're going to face in the future, God is bigger because he was bigger than what was in your past. That's what hope is. Verse 16. From his abundance... We have all received one gracious blessing after another. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. You know, we, we can't see God. There was no chance of us being able to interact with God on a face-to-face basis. We, we had to interact with him through history. You know, God would show up here and show up there, but he showed up in just all kinds of forms. I mean, it was amazing, right? I mean, you've got clouds of fire. You've got pillars of smoke. You've got like winds that knock over things. I mean, you've got, you've got the glory of God that filled the temple in the Old Testament and was so thick that it forced all the priests out of the, I mean, it was crazy. God shows up and he does not look like us. But Jesus comes and he reveals God to us. Jesus says, you know what? I'm gonna show you the Father through my life, but we can never make the mistake and think that somehow God is just like us. God's not just like us. God is sovereign. God is a spirit. God is all powerful. God is all knowing. God is all of those things. He's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. God is bigger. And if we ever get in our minds that he is somehow limited in any context, then we're gonna miss out on what Jesus was trying to show us. Jesus showed us God's heart, that God's heart is for us, that God's heart is for the individual, that God's heart is for the heart of man, that God is in love with us. That's what Jesus showed us. But God goes so far beyond our individual circumstances. And if we ever reduce him down to a success matrix of God, if you were real, then you would have done X, then we have missed the entire boat. And we'll become disappointed because a God you can put in a box is no God at all and it's certainly not our God. Now, let's look at Verse 19, the testimony of John the Baptist. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? He came right out and said, 
I'll tell you who I'm not. I'm not the Messiah. Well, then who are you? Are you Elijah? Nope. I, I really think he enjoyed this. I just get, I get the feeling that John the Baptist enjoyed being a little bit of an antagonist. Do you get that feeling from the Bible? Just a little bit, okay. So who are you, Elijah? Nope. Are you the prophet we were expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? And then he just quotes a verse that is so vague. It's just great. I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. People want to understand who you are. Have you noticed that? They want to put you into a box. They want to try to pin it down. They want to pin Christianity on you because you are faulty and you will fail. And if they can pin it on you, then they can go, well, I knew Christians and they weren't da-da-da-da, so da-da-da. But, but that's not who we're called to be a witness to. We're not called to be a witness about ourselves. We're called to be a witness about Jesus. And if we get caught up in talking about who we are and what we think and how we feel and whatever, and not just redirecting people to Jesus, we'll miss it. I love the fact that he says, I'm a voice. He doesn't even say, like, I'm a person. He just says, I am a voice. He doesn't say, I'm the voice. He says, I am a voice. And that's who we are supposed to be. We're just supposed to be one of the voices along the journey that point people to Jesus. Don't answer the question that the world asks. Answer the question that you know they need to know the answer to. You know, um, my, my, my mom's awesome, but she doesn't understand computers at all. And when I say she doesn't understand computers, I mean, like, not at all. Like, none of the things, none of the things that have to do with computers, none of them. I remember one time she said, I just don't understand why you can't write on a step-by-step instruction sheet for, um, for, for this whole process of email. And I'm like, because it's different every time, Mom. I'm like, what do you, she's like, what do you mean it's different? I'm like, okay, you know, what I think is that you should never get on a computer again. And I think that that would kind of fix this. But she doesn't understand computers, so she doesn't ever know the right question to ask. And that's how the world is with us. They'll start asking you questions that aren't the right questions. Well, what, what program did you do to, to get through your addiction? Well, how, how, what, what vitamins are you on to have so much more? Well, what, well tell me about your philosophy and sometimes we have to know enough to not answer the questions they ask and answer the questions they need to know the answer about. And to be able to say, you know what, I know you want this to be simple. And I know you want this not to be the answer. But the difference between who I used to be and who I am today has a name. It's not a process. It's not a philosophy. It's not some type of program. It's a name. And his name is Jesus. And when he comes into the situation, there is life and there's light, and there's love, and that's the end of the story.